Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Ticket Variety and iHeart's Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today, I have two guests. First up is Taron Egerton. He's telling all about his Oscar-buzzy work starring as Elton John in Rocketman. He also reveals the most surprising thing he learned about the legendary musician and what it was like joining Elton for a night of singing in Joni Mitchell's living room. Plus, Taron opens up for the first time about what he thinks went wrong with his Robin Hood movie. Then later, Aldous Hodge. The actor talks about his Gotham Award-nominated work as an inmate on death row in the upcoming indie Clemency and acting opposite Alfre Woodard. It's all coming up after the break. Stick around. If you're like me and spend hours on Instagram scrolling past all the over-filtered, perfect highlight reels of other women and just wish you had someone to commiserate with about your nightly shame spirals, I have great news for you. I'm Jade Iovine, and I'm the host of Tell Me About It, the weekly podcast that's here to remind you that the women we constantly compare ourselves to, yes, even that one, also have lives that are far from perfect. Whether it's admitting all the times you've texted your ex, navigating the world of fertility treatments, or feeling like the only one in the room with depression, nothing quite compares to the relief you feel when another woman admits they've stood exactly where you are and lived to tell the tale. So cancel that Zoom happy hour. You know you didn't want to go anyway. And come hang with me as I talk to women I respect about all the insecurities, mistakes, and the heartbreaks that they don't normally post about on Instagram. Join me for Heart to Hearts with tech CMO Bozema St. John, environmentalist and influencer Steph Shep, actress Jamie Lynn Siegler, and many more. Listen to Tell Me About It with Jade Iovine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Now here's Rocket Man star, Taron Egerton. I ate a really nice burger earlier that I keep thinking about. Really? So much so that I am thinking of maybe having another one. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I'll, be, I'll be coming home from a late night thing and my husband's home and he's yeah. very healthy. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just gonna You stop. look like you, you don't look like you eat junk. I eat junk. Do you? I do. You're one of those really annoying people who can just eat. I used to really be that annoying person. Like, I was this tall when I graduated from high school. I was 118 pounds. I mean, I look like it's ridiculous. But I'll be coming home and I'm like, I'm just going to go to McDonald's. Yeah. I'm going to throw out all the wrappers on the street. So, not on the street, but in a garbage can. So he does not see. And then I'll get in the car. He's like, what's this French fry on the floor? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what am I gonna stop at midnight to get a salad? It tastes so good when it's forbidden as well. Yes, it? it's better. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, just tell me, first day on set, Rocket Man, what was it like? First day on set, it was, um, I was nervous, obviously, uh, very daunted by the whole prospect, but quite, you know, it felt like a real moment in my life because. You know, I knew that this was going to be a film that obviously lots of people would see and um, people would be curious about. And we, we sort of hit the ground running, really. The first thing we filmed was all the stuff at the Troubadour. And, that, uh, is, that is not just... Yeah. <laughs> that's like major. Yeah, major. <laughs> so f- the first day we did my freak out backstage, wow. which is, was a really odd place to start because tonally... It's one of, you know, Elton has a few mad moments in, mm-hmm. in our movie. I think he's had a fair few <laughs> in, his, uh, in, his, in his life. But um, 
tonally that's a really odd moment because it's such an extreme reaction mm-hmm. it's an extreme moment in the you know the chronology of the character right. and um at the end of the day i sort of was a little bit unsure about what the movie we were making was because mm-hmm. it felt quite heightened and the movie is heightened but that's one of the more heightened moments right. i would say um and the second day we were doing crocodile rock and um i really you know i you know in the script it's just Elton walks across the stage <laughs> play performs a song everyone floats off the ground <laughs> and so i you know but i planned in advance i knew that i wanted to kick the stool over mm-hmm. and i knew that i wanted to i knew as well that i wanted to put my foot on the piano so much so that i had the sound editor put that noise in the temp track wow. um so i sort of choreographed a bit of a routine mm-hmm. um but those couple of days i think once we'd done uh, the first day after we'd done the the freak out the moment of madness backstage I felt quite wobbly. I sort of didn't quite know what we were doing. <laughs> um, and I couldn't tell if I was any good. And But after the, the Crocodile Rock day, I really felt that I knew what we where, where we were headed and what right. we were trying to do. Because, you know, if Elton's happy anywhere, it's on stage, I think. So you're wearing those shoes, those platforms, those the silver numbers. How, how did that... That just probably just completely changed how you walked into a room. A hundred percent, yeah, no doubt about it. I think, you know, when he's asked backstage, what are you, what on earth are you wearing? And he looks, he says, my stage gear. I really wanted that moment to be, I didn't want the freak out to in any way seem about that, you know. There's a, Elton is completely assured about what he wears. I was sat in the back of the car with him a couple of days ago he was talking to a friend of his who is a well-known jeweler who uh, uh laurie rodkin and he was just saying you know i want you to make me a spider a brooch massive this big and he's just got a certainty about things right. about a lot of things but he had a he has a particular certainty in relation to what he wears um how was your back after wearing those I was okay. I was okay. (laughs) The thing about the thing that's amazing about his costumes, not his costumes, his stage wear, my costumes, um, is that it's really, it's very empowering. Mm -hmm. I think even you know, even a even an an oversized Donald Duck outfit can be empowering, and I think that's what because you got to be pretty confident to wear an oversized Donald Duck costume. I think there's something about it. There's something of the peacock about it, and. And I feel like it's an armor. I think as well with Elton, it's a lot of it's to do with the fact that he, I think as a young man, did not feel very, I don't think he felt very sexy, mm-hmm. frankly. Of course, he is very sexy. His confidence <laughs> and his, you know, his his, um, his persona. And, you know, he's had his, his moments of being aesthetically very attractive as well. But I don't think he felt it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think those crazy costumes went some way to um, compensating. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. for sure. So tell me about the day, you get the phone call, you get the role. Yeah. Do you call your mom first, or do you call? I mean, it felt like such a, <laughs> it was a very gradual thing. Um, you know, it, it didn't really feel like there was one decisive moment, but of course, you know, my girlfriend and my family have endured me talking endlessly about this for a number of years um so uh you know but they're all super proud and they all love the film i think they all feel it's 
They're sort of my fav- their favorite, I think, of the things that I've been a part of. But you get the role, and you go to bed that night, Yeah. you try to sleep, you wake up the next day, and you're like, Ah, shit, I gotta go play. Yeah, I know, job. I know, I know. It's a lot. And I think all you can do is try and park that feeling and and try and enjoy yourself and do as much work as you can. Right. But it's one of those parts and one of those things where you kind of can't think you just have to put your head down and run at it and that's what i did and that's why i think i think that's why dexter made crocodile rock the first thing in fact i know it's why he made it the first Mm -hmm. thing he you know i think there's there was no there's no easing yourself into playing elton john you know you just the extremity of who he is i think you just have to yeah you know head down and run at it like a bull really and and hope that all the work you've done and all of the planning and all of Mm -hmm. the time spent with him and all of the endless months in studio will all inform something that will feel believable what was your favorite day on set your favorite moment um favorite moments the scenes that i'm especially proud of uh, the scene where i meet bernie i really love Mm -hmm. um and I felt very much like um, I just I just I just felt that we'd it's such a big moment for those two men and you know I, I, of course the whole time we were making the movie I was thinking about their reaction to it and right. I and I felt I felt that Jamie and I complimented each other well mm-hmm. that day. But favorite days on set. I, there, was, there were so many days that I loved and enjoyed. I really mm. loved performing the days that required me to perform right. as him. Um, but equally, you know, this is, for me as an actor, I think I'd been yearning to sort of slightly... I've played lots of really, you know, I've played so, you know, the things I've done in my 20s, namely Kingsman, Eddie the Eagle, you know, my... Um, my doomed Robin Hood movie that I made. Um, it, um, I, uh, yeah, are you still saying the name? <laughs> yeah, I try not to bring it up if I can. Um, but I, um, yeah, I, I felt like um, I'd been yearning to, to, to explore slightly darker territory. And mm-hmm. I still feel that way, just a sort of slightly more, you know, stories and characters that are a little less... Um, archetypally sympathetic I suppose mm-hmm. and I felt that Elton represented that opportunity for me so I actually relished to the days where I was required to perform something that was kind of you know t- dark or tumultuous right. or you know or challenging in that way um, but you know the, the great joy of this job was that it just afforded so many different opportunities and allowed me to flex so many different muscles so what was the hardest day the hardest day I do think that that day, the day where we shot the restaurant stuff towards the end of the movie with my mother and then with Bernie as well, mm-hmm. I found that draining because it's him, you know, he's really, really, really miserable at that moment and really, you know, drunk and high and just miserable. And and it's also... It's also a really sad moment because it re- it's it really jeopardizes the 
relationship with Bernie, Alan's mm-hmm. behaviour there. I always, I was always a passionate defender of the scene from the script because mm. um, there was obviously there was contention at the time about whether it goes too far. Because you know, I can't remember what I say in it, but it's something like you've never been there for me. I think I say, can I swear on this? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think <laughs> I say I, I don't get to sit around all day chewing on the end of a fucking pencil. Mm. It's a really awful thing to say to someone you care about, you know. Right. Um, but that day was taxing because it's, you know, it's just a, it's just, it's just not, it's not a nice scene, you know. Right. But um, not, you know, not that I, you don't really fit, you know. I'm not, I'm not method or anything. Right, but right. you, but you, you know, being negative for a whole day or in a negative it's situation take its toll. It does take its toll <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um, what obviously you spent a lot of time with Elton. We've mm. read about that. You've talked about it. What did you learn about him that just surprised you the most? Um, I mean, there's so much. There are details of his drug use that are disturbing, mm-hmm. um, you know, that probably don't need repeating. And also, it's not the most interesting thing to say, but I mean, the one thing that really genuinely surprised me, getting to know him more and more, is, is knowing how sh- his how shy he is, really, and how much of it is... A sort of show right. and, a, and an adopted persona. Mm-hmm. At the core of him, he's a shy person. Right. Um, and the you know at the core of him, he's quite a sweet, uncertain person. It, it blows my mind now how he still asks me how he's done when he performs or something. You really? know, and with a genuine kind of, well, I don't want to say worry, but you know he's. I think part of the reason for his some, mass- of, some of that is healthy. I mean, yes, I, I think that's was- what it is. I think he never. I think that the really one of the one of the many glorious things about Elton is that, and I think it probably you know contributes to his success. But I don't think he ever take. I don't think he thinks anything's granted, and I, don't, I certainly don't think he ever thinks he nails it automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that bit of uncertainty probably keeps you grounded. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we're at the Cannes Film Festival. Mm. You do that carpet, which is one one thing right there, yeah. standing next to Elton. But then, I know you're on a stage. I know, as if they did, as if the I didn't theme. have enough to do that day. <laughs> I do a day theme. of press, go to the premiere, sit next to Elton John, and they go, "Oh, we'd like you to sing afterwards with him on the beach." You've got. I mean, I, I definitely earned my money there, didn't I? But I don't care how confident someone is, or. How long they've been in the business? That has to be yeah. mindful. Yeah, mate. Yeah, <laughs> massively. And just, um, just not. Uh, you know, the the thing to remember. And I don't want to be too. You know. Um, Wait, I have to set it up for you though, because we're all we all know it's happening, right? Of course, yeah. Paramount won't confirm yeah. it, but there's a stage. There's a stage there. Piano. It's got Rocket Man in lights so written above it. So we're literally yeah. we're like we don't we can't figure out where is the best place to stand because they have this whole pit. Yeah. So we thought that pit was blocked off for security. All of a sudden, they open that pit and people start running. I was literally climbing on the side <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like wobbling. It was it was hysteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was people were excited. <laughs> I mean, the other thing to remember not to be, you know, to to um to pity myself too much, <laughs> but you know, most singers, performers, 
cut their teeth performing to three or four people in sleepy, you know, <laughs> bars for many years before they get their big audience. I mean, you know, I'm <laughs> I didn't really have that that, that luxury. So I um I did feel I was being thrown in at the deep end a little bit. I have to say that there, there is a lovely thing about him. I've sang, you know, apart, apart from Elton a few times as well. Yeah, like the um, other night at the Greek Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And who was uh, in the audience? Uh, there, was a few cool, <laughs> there was a few cool people there, but Pete Townsend was, and my, my love, Joni Mitchell, was there as well, which was very, very cool. But... Um, there's something about him, he's actually very calming. He's a very calming influence on mm. stage. There's something very solid and dependable and assured about him that really relaxes me. So you were relaxed on stage? You looked uh, relaxed. Uh, you didn't look I nervous. Did, you watch the four times I've sang with him, you can see me getting progressively more relaxed. <laughs> you, you can see it, you know, from Tiny Dancer at the Oscars party, where I'm quivering. <laughs> um, and then the next time would have been at Cannes, where I'm a little more relaxed probably with the help of a few <laughs> French beers. And then um, and then I went out and sang your song with him at the start of his the UK leg of his tour in Brighton. And then last week we did Don't Let the Sun Go Down On Me. So basically you've gone, you've gone on tour with Elton John, is what you're saying. But you could put it that way, yeah. <laughs> so then we bring you to the Oscars. There mm. is an original song yes. on the soundtrack. Yes. That could be up for, you know, all his songs that he's done before that can't be up for an mm -hmm. Oscar. Mm. You could be performing on the Oscar stage without the Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're the first person who's actually floated that as an idea. I, um, <laughs> God, that's a thought, isn't it? I mean, I do, yeah, I really, do, I don't. We'd have to, yeah, we'd have to have a conversation about that because that, um, that would be that would be a lot. That would really be a lot. What does it feel like to hear Oscar buzz? Uh, Being on those Oscar lists, it uh, um, it doesn't feel like my life, you know. It doesn't feel like I, I still my heart still flutters when I land in LA, you know. Just yeah. and this is my tenth trip here this year, I believe. You know, <laughs> I still it still has a kind of twilight, heady magic to it. It still mm -hmm. feels like something very far away you know i didn't land in america until i was 25 you know wow. barely did air travel when i was a kid you know we didn't we you know my, my i was raised by a single parent we mm -hmm. didn't own our home we moved a lot you know to the car to be here now i mean a week ago today i sang for joni mitchell in her living room you know my i believe life, that was after the ampus screening right yeah yeah <laughs> okay it was straight after yeah you said yeah. hold on you're, you're not gonna just drop that yeah you sang for joni mitchell in her living i did yeah it's been an amazing week um and that was <sighs> even that i'm was, getting chills and i yeah, wasn't there <laughs> yeah it was extraordinary bonnie ray was there elton john myself brandy carlisle it was truly amazing brandy carlisle was on well, I saw I saw her do Blue last week, last Monday, the whole album, and it was just the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen. But yeah, but I, I only say all this to, to to illustrate the fact that you know my life does feel unrecognisable, and those lists and those conversations to be mentioned is um, the most wonderfully validating thing, you know, and um, and it really is the stuff. Of dreams that prospect mm. um, how are you gonna keep that grounded how do you keep that in perspective well I think I mean I, I, and you know it's only talk there's no you know those mm -hmm. things are still a way away and um, 
if it were to happen, it would be, I mean, beyond anything that I've experienced before. <laughs> but I mean, I, I um, remaining grounded is not something that worries me because I feel like you gain, you you know, you just, you know, I, the people, the, I have great people in my life. Mm-hmm. I have really great people in my life and um, I have a great team and I have a great family and I have great friends. And a lot of those people have been in my life for a very long time. That's great. And, um, and, you know, they were all there with me in Cannes, most of them. Uh, you know, and all of these wonderful experiences and things that have happened in my life, uh, I've had the great privilege to be able to share with those people. Um, and it makes it all the more... I mean, it, you know, quadruples how right. good it all is. Right. It, um, quadruple isn't enough. It's just for some reason four was the biggest number I could think of. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I... Um, Infinity. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, so yes, I'm very lucky. I have great people and I feel like I'm sharing this this incredible journey with them. So when, when you first were talking um, to them about the movie, it's not a traditional biopic. No. You know, it's, it's you know, there's fantasy, there's realism... Um, there's a mix that becomes a musical at one point. Did you know that was the right way to do it? it you, I, I just, I just thought it. F- no, I wasn't nervous. I, f- of uh, you know what it is stylistically. I read the script, you know, and the original script has gone through lots of iterations and drafts. But you know, you f- you have a very the scripts that I've read that I've loved, you know, you have a very visceral reaction to them. And I had a very, just the opening line, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a sex addict and a cocaine addict and a bulimic and a shopaholic. Oh, like, you read that and you're like, oh, this is gonna be good. You know, <laughs> this is a, this is a character worth playing, you right. know, who's this guy? And um, and so... And let's not forget what you're wearing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I uh, the only anxiety I had, the only paranoia I had was that you know, the film is a specific thing. It's a fantasy, but it's also a very candid warts and all telling of right. a famous person's life. And um, the only thing that worried me was that I thought if, 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 and it never happened, I'm so pleased to say, if the temptation to tamper with it for box office potential, mm-hmm. if that if that became, if that happened, right. Um, I've just felt that corrupting the uh, the the DNA of what it is, and those things are in its DNA. Mm. I knew it would collapse because it's it's envisaged and imagined as you know something that isn't kind of sanitized or um, or made to be commercially at the expense of its right. artistic integrity. And um, but that never happened. That's great. I think you know there was everyone really held on to their integrity. Paramount were just amazing uh, collaborators and supporters and, and it really turned into the movie that I hoped it would be and I'm so pleased and proud of it you know I still feel like it could be I still it's there now it's done you know no one can take it away but nope. I still sometimes worry that it's going to be taken away nope. because I was so in, I was so passionately invested in it right um, I'm just so pleased that it turned into what it did so how do you top this? How oh, I do don't know. I know that there's the Wolver- I'm not going to try. I know there's all the Wolverine speculation, <laughs> which, you know, is just by association more than anything. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I think so. Um, I, look, you know, I just want to play interesting characters. That's all I want to do. I, I'm happy to do it in small movies. I'm very happy to do it in big movies. I, you know, 
just want to keep doing things that are different and surprising and um and I feel stimulated by it. I don't want mu I don't want musicals to characterize my career right. but I I don't I also want them to be a part of it. Um so I'd like to do more of that. So why didn't Robin Hood why didn't people get it? What happened? It's very complicated. Uh, you know what, I don't care. It, 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 it absolutely was not the movie that I signed up to make. Really? No, it's not. It was very, it was very, it was different. It was different at the um, at the inception of it, at the mm -hmm. idea of it. It was pitched to me in a different way. And, um, and the, I think, I think it was made by committee and I think it lost its vision. When do you, when do you realize that? Do you not realize that until the final cut or is it happening during filming? Um, I wasn't very happy on the set. Mm. I didn't have a very happy time making it. And I felt like the no matter how much energy I put into it, it never... Because normally I find that when things aren't good mm -hmm. and you're not having a good time creatively, it's normally something in my attitude. And I right. just felt like no matter how much effort I doubled down on into and into it, it never became a happy place to be. Mm. Um, that's me being very candid. I've not really spoken about that before. But, um, and um, and then I didn't really know what it was going to turn into. I really, I, th I think the director's super talented and, mm. uh, and everything else he's done, I've absolutely loved. But when I went to the so first time I saw it, I, I just didn't really recognize it. Wow. I didn't mm. really recognize it from the movie that I'd signed up to make, you know. It was originally gonna be scored by like contemporary music and stuff and uh, yeah, it just didn't really become what I wanted right. it to become. So what's the one film you could watch over and over again and you never get bored? Oh, um, Shaun of the Dead is one that I return to. Over yeah. Oh, did you mean something that I'm in? No. Oh, no, no, no. Or no. If, if it is a movie you're in. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Shaun of the Dead is one that I have watched over and over Why and is over that? again. Uh, because you see, it's, it's made in such a way that it's very, very layered. So you can <laughs> watch it time and time again and see different things in it. And I just th think the performances are lovely in it. And it's very, very funny. I also have a real soft spot for zombie movies as a genre. And then other things that I've watched over and over again, uh, like David Fincher's stuff, uh, The Social Network, I've seen many, many times. Really? And yeah, I just think it's... So of all David Fincher ones, Social Network, I huh? love it for a couple of reasons. I think they're all brilliant in it, and I love the music. It's mm -hmm. one of those films where I listen to the soundtrack on its own. Right. And I think the Got soundtrack it. to The Social Network is amazing. Um, um, yeah, I mean, there's loads of things, but there's a handful. When was the last time you cried at the movies? Are you a Ooh. crier? Do you know, funnily enough, the, the most, the most, the, the biggest emotional reaction I've had in recent times was, um, you, I was telling you about Brandy Carlisle. Yep. I went to see her do Blue, mm -hmm. and it was wonderful and beautiful, and never a false note, never a false move. It was just stunning, and her band and everything, it was perfect, perfect, perfect. It got to a case of you, which if you know Blue is the penultimate track, think he says with confidence and um and i uh yeah i basically i was aware at the start of it that the you know i i, I had been emotional during the performance mm -hmm. and you know elton's a few seats down and Joni and 
Brandy Carlisle, and, you know, Marilyn Manson's in front of me, Kevin Bacon's a couple of rows down, you know, Mini Driver. It was, you know, it's like, it was an amazing atmosphere in this room. I'm sat next to Billy Torpin, who's become a really good friend. And, um, and I was aware that I was a little bit emotional at the start of A Case of You. And I thought, well, that's fine. You know, I'm millennial. I'm, you know, comfortable <laughs> with my feelings. I'm good. And, um... As the second, as the, I think it's the second verse, and it, it, it goes, I am a lonely painter. I live in a box of paint. And I don't know what it was. I mm. could not. I was blubbing like a seal. I just went. And I was trying, it's a really public room, and people are aware that you're in there. <laughs> right. And so I'm, you know, covering my mouth like this <laughs> and trying to hold it together. But it was like, I couldn't, I was, it was like, it was just this incredibly, you know, um, overwhelming feeling of just, I don't even know what it was. It was, of course, it's, of course, sad. It's, there's a melancholy to the song. But it was more just, it's the only time in my life where people, you know when people just cry at beauty? I just, mm -hmm. it was just, this is just so heart-stoppingly beautiful. And I couldn't contain it. And people started handing me tissues, and I was so embarrassed. And, um, and you looked over at Joni. I couldn't look at Joni. I couldn't look at Joni. I was so embarrassed. I couldn't look at Joni. But I, you know, but everyone knew it was happening because I couldn't. I was like, I was, like you know, shaking. I was weeping. Right, I was right. crying, shaking my body. And, um, but it was amazing. But it makes me think um, of another Joni lyric, and it is uh, laughing and crying. You know, it's the same release. And I felt bloody amazing afterwards. Mm. I really felt amazing. I felt like I'd expelled something. I felt like I'd, I felt light. It's sort of the uh, same endorphins are going. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and it just really made sense of that lyric. I don't know, it was a weird, weird night, weird week of seeing Joni Mitchell, this very, f <laughs> and just being around Joni Mitchell and feeling like I, I don't know, I, I did a, an, an Instagram post afterwards about Brandy's gig because I loved it so much and and I said in it and I did I felt like I knew myself a little better afterwards and that sounds so utterly wanky but I, but it but it is how I felt. No, it's, that's what music does yeah. to you. Yeah, that's not, listen, yeah. you're playing yeah. one of the greatest musicians of all time and you know you could listen to his songs over and over again and they get you every single time and you totally and especially you know as you get older you're hearing lyrics that you didn't hear when you were 16 uh, of years course. old yeah of course so. of course but yes so yeah all good yeah Taryn, thank you so much thank this is awesome very, very much. This thank is great. You. Thank great. You. that was rockin man star Taryn edgerton Coming up after the break, Aldous Hodge. I sat down with a clemency actor at the SCAD Savannah Film Festival to find out how he prepared to play an inmate on death row by visiting San Quentin. Stick around. I'm Alec Baldwin. Listen to my podcast, Here's the Thing, on iHeartRadio. It's my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers, like the actress Kristen Bell. And the moment I said, you know what, I have a thing... And it's a quirky, weird, fun thing that can be snarky. And I love doing it. I do it pretty well. Why not lean into it? And that is when I felt like I started becoming happier. Music legend Mick Fleetwood. Fleetwood Mac was always about change so that you were accepted for who you were. 
former governor of Vermont, Howard Dean. I took the call in this quavering voice and the other end of the phone says, I regret to inform you that the governor has died of a heart attack and you're the governor. <laughs> that was the end of my medical practice. And best-selling author Isabel Wilkerson. People would come up to me of all different backgrounds and would say to me, I had no idea that this happened in our country. If you like listening as much as I like talking with interesting people, go to heresthething.org and subscribe now on the iHeart app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's Clemency star, Aldous Hodge. How are you? Uh, I'm doing fine, man. How you doing? Yeah. Yes. Have you been? To, you've been to Savannah before, yeah? I have. Because you're from down here. Are you in uh, North Carolina? Well, I was born in North Carolina, yeah. Um, we shot Underground the uh, second season here. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. So that was my first, I think it was 2016, but that was the first time that I had been at uh, SCAD. That was my introduction to SCAD yeah. Film Fest. I was like, well, this is serious business. It I mean, is. they ain't going all out. And this place, like, <laughs> This is my jam, man. It's all colorful because like I paint mm-hmm. and and I do I design a whole bunch of different things. Like my I'm, I'm art is my language through and through. So this is the library and like it's colorful. They got cool rooms. They got little <laughs> swingy chairs. Like, you know what I mean, I could I could you're, kick it here for a minute. You're in your element. Yeah, I used to go to a, di- a design school back in uh, in California, Art mm-hmm. Center, College of Design. And um, I don't know, man. I love a place that just when you walk in. You feel the vibe and it inspires you to do what you naturally are, right. are here to do. So what kind of painting do you do? I suppose abstract. I'm getting a little bit more into portraiture, trying wow. to um, practice that a bit more. Uh, I need the time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I, I'm going to go home and, and finish taking care of my little, uh, my little setup in the back. Yeah. Um, because I'm traveling so much these days, I don't have time to be consistent, but... <laughs> Regardless, I still love it. And it's, it's something that I love pursuing. Where I would you, make it a job if I could. Where, where, where did your love of art come from? It was just innate since yeah. I was a child. I remember um, my mom used to get mad at me because I'd be like one or two years old drawing on her white couch with her red lipstick. And she'd be Dude, like, Bruh. that's me. <laughs> yeah. No, I did. Yeah. Downstairs from me, I'm one day after school playing yeah. with the landlord's kid. And she's uh, like, oh, I'm allowed to draw on the walls. Yeah. And we went and started drawing on the walls. Wall. She was not allowed to be drawn on the walls. My mom was, nah, she was not a fan then. She's a fan now. <laughs> she gets it. She understands now. But it's it's one of those things that was natural. My interest in how I see the world is through art. It's a visual mm. experience, sensory experience. My language is art. That's how I communicate with people because I was not naturally um, verbally communicative mm. uh i was always very much a quiet child and observer so let's talk about clemency yes indeed so did you get sent the script how did it come about yes my um uh Chinoya, the director and writer she sent my my team the script uh her and and bronwyn cornelius our, our producer so my team sent me the script and Chinoya also wrote a letter uh to me um speaking uh, on on her support of me in the role and, and, wow. and what she thought I could bring to it. And it was a very, very beautifully worded letter. And after I read the script, I saw a massive potential for an opportunity to do some really great work because of how she wrote it. I was mm-hmm. truly impressed with the duality of the situation, the characters, what they went through, the exploration of the context and the subject matter, how it wasn't preachy. It wasn't, you know, she lays out a situation and doesn't 
give the audience or force upon the audience her own ideas of an answer hmm. she just poses a question and the audience is left to answer that for themselves which is what i love because i like going to movies and having experiences that make me think right you know and and i go home saying well, all right well what would i do in this situation so for the way that she illustrated the script and then how we came to shooting this thing it was fantastic plus knowing that i had the opportunity to work alongside alfred woodard mm -hmm. you know right. she's a screen legend that for me was bananas because I want to continually put myself in a position to grow and work with other artists who are going to help me get there. And, you know, Shinoya and, and Alfred were definitely that. And then you hear about the rest of the cast. <laughs> you know, we got Richard Schiff, Wendell Pierce, Danielle Brooks, Michael O'Neill. Danielle, like, I love Danielle so much. Oh, man, uh, she's awesome. The first time I met her actually was through SCAD, but up in Atlanta for the TV festival. Or, okay, yes, gotcha. Orange is the New Black had just hit. Yeah, yeah. man. She's fantastic. And... I love, the, well, I don't want to give away the cookies, gotcha. but the scene that we have yes. <laughs> uh, is one of the, the scenes that locked in my decision to do this. Wow. Yeah, because the conversation, they have the context. You yeah. know, I feel like Danielle's character is really brave in that she gives many truths um, about how she feels, whereas in real life, I think it's what people would want to say, but may not have the courage to say. Mm -hmm. And she goes there, and Shinoya just she wrote the hell out of that scene, right. and that was something I was really excited about because I said I can't wait for people to see this, man. Right. Yeah. So let's back up. Give me the let's log. Let, give me the log line of the movie. Uh, let's see. Log line is tough, but I, I know. know. Um, uh, I will paraphrase from. Uh, from uh, Chinoya's words in that this film is an exploration into the effects on those whose livelihood is tied to the task of taking life. Mm -hmm. And meaning that we're exploring the effects of the death row sentence, the act of it through the eyes of Bernadine, who's played expertly by Alfred Woodard, and she's a, a prison warden, and this is her job. But taking live is what pays her bills, and she mm. has to see this every day, and she's trying to hold on to her humanity. She's trying to give these men dignity, um, and we see how that affects her. We see how death row impacts the families around people. We see how it impacts the people that work there. Right. The, PTSD, the PTSD rate for people that work in prisons and uh and in, in, in these in these uh and death row uh uh and uh, uh, death row uh the rate is equal or equivalent to people who are coming back from war wow yeah it's it's insane man so um the way she goes about it then we also explore what that effect is when it comes to my character Anthony Woods who is on death row has been for about 15 years at this point and he's fighting for clemency um, the best that he can get in terms of clemency is to not die a line that is expertly delivered by Richard Schiff he said when I win my clients get to not die wow. and we see what that reality is for people mm. so um, I think that the film has a great potential to be able to help people engage a real conversation about the complicit nature with which we 
stand on death row and how we it, can be more active about it. Because the film doesn't take a side. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It does not take a side, which is the best thing about it. Right. Doesn't take a side. Doesn't get preachy. It doesn't impose upon you a very uh, specific opinion. It basically asks you, "All right, now that you've seen the truth of this, how do you feel? What do you think about this?" Right. And chances <laughs> you know? are, it's not going to be so black and white. <laughs> exactly. It's not. So, how do you even prepare to p- play a man on death row? Do you do a deep Ooh. dive? Do you, you know, yeah, there's yeah, enough yeah. television, so-called reality shows about this. And <laughs> you put on the History Channel. You put on any of these channels now, and it's constantly there. You got it. I would say go to the reality of it. Um, So, Chinoya first told me about the case of Troy Davis, a man who was actually executed here in Georgia. And she gave me a book about that, uh, about his life and what he he went through. Because uh, when Troy Davis was executed, there was an outpouring of support and mostly a lot of letters written from wardens talking about how you know they were in support of him gaining clemency they were talking about the the mental effects that it has on people who are in this position people who work and that's what sort of inspired her her thinking about how to write this film and and Mm. why you know she wanted to write it in the first place but so it gives you a whole different perspective and then i went to san quentin with our producer bronwyn cornelius and i observed the brothers who were sitting there we were given a tour of the facility by the brothers who were uh, serving life sentences. Now, I went with the intent to talk to the brothers on death row, but I was not allowed to per uh, the warden's um, restrictions. Uh, We were not allowed to engage with them, even to the point where when they were transferred across the yard, the other inmates were made to turn their backs and not speak to them and not look at them. So I, there was such a, a, an isolated environment created for them all the way down to their last breath that, was, that really informed my idea of what my character might be going through. Uh, it was nearly inhumane to a degree. Uh, mm. it, was, it was very shocking <laughs> to mm. experience. But I think that when it comes to preparing for these situations, I mean, how do you prepare for somebody potentially saying okay today's the day you're gonna die right um my character didn't know what that was nor did i so i wanted to experience it with my character as i experienced it through my character so what is a tour like san quentin like when you i mean is is there is there a part of you that i would think sort of you're there it's almost what's the word you're taking a tour you know you could leave is it almost like I don't There's, know if I should be even be doing yeah, this. Yeah. yeah. There is a real sense of, there's a newfound appreciation for the idea of freedom. Mm-hmm. Things that we take for granted on a regular basis. Right. Um, I mean, we toured, the, the warden showed us the death chamber. The men who are on death row, oftentimes they get an option as to how they would like to die. Mm-hmm. And he asked us, now, how at what percentage do you think uh do they choose this option or that option right. you know we were like well i don't we don't know we can't right. say he said most of the time they don't choose they i mean because how do you choose how do you choose right which way you're going to and and oddly enough crazy enough there's still so many different ways um gas chamber there's the needle uh intravenous drugs there's still electric chair in some places hanging there's even a firing squad in in one state and i was like are you insane yes 
So it, it really opens your eyes to the barbaric nature with which we shroud the idea of justice and mm. and you know it pushes you to do more which is why i did the film hopefully there can be some conversations around how we eradicate this disease we know to be the death row sentence yeah so when you you know i i was doing a little research there and, and asking around and i was asking specifically how this disproportionately affects different communities because we already know how it disproportionately affects uh, black and uh, well Americans who are are black and of of Hispanic descent and when it came to death row it was less about the color of the offender but more the color of the victim in terms of black and brown bodies not Uh. much credence is given when it comes to the death row sentence in almost all cases when you're white death row <laughs> if the victim is white wow yeah just another notch on the belt of pushing the 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 agenda and that white lives matter to some people more than black and brown lives which is uh staggering insulting and appalling but again a film like this to call to light what mm. is going on out there is is you know it, it gives me purpose and a reason and and real substance when it comes to my art my craft and i love to be a part of effective things i call it effective art what were the rehearsals the first reads like the first table reads um we actually didn't do really uh, we shot this in 17 days what? i shot all of my work in five days this is yeah <laughs> Okay, I know this is only audio right now. My mouth is on the floor. <laughs> yeah, man. 17 days, brother. That's Whoa. that's what you call preparation. Chinoya was not playing. Whoa. Chinoya was like, uh, I mean, she had been doing the research for four years prior to filming this. She had volunteered, I think, on 14 different cases, all of which uh, were women. Um she even started a, a screenwriting program within prisons to help inmates write their scripts and get them on screen. Um, Alfred Woodard was on the project two years before we started filming, so their hearts were in it. The research Whoa. was there. And when it came to shooting, she was just ready to go. Man, you had to show up ready. <laughs> we didn't shoot long. I mean, a, I am a, just a great dumbfounded deal of my, right now. Yeah. <laughs> seven days. Seven days. Seven days. Uh, you know what she told me something that i hadn't even realized but uh so you know uh, in the film the the scene between alfrey and i where alfrey is explaining to my character how he's going to die mm-hmm. we shot that in two takes wow Alice, thank you so much this thank you great. brother That was Aldous Hodge. Clemency will be in theaters on December 27th. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Big Ticket. Coming up next week, Bombshell star Margot Robbie and Sterling K. Brown. He's talking about his new indie waves and what it's like to be a part of Frozen 2. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. See you next week. Mm